Hey guys, this is Kevin. And, and this I, is Evan. There we go. And I am uh, currently in the studio <laughs> solo. It is terrifying. They've already turned the lights out on me. And today we are going it's to like do it. Like bathroom stalls. Yes, actually, like the bathroom stall. The bathroom stall actually started blinking, and I was like, "Oh hell no!" And I walked out immediately. So <laughs> today we are doing yet another uh, village talk, which is our working with Nonprofit Village. Shout out to you guys uh, at Nonprofit Village. They have allowed us to be able to get in touch with people we would have, one, not previously known about, and two, also get to know about nonprofits that are doing really great things, uh, a lot of different things, and a lot of them have been connected to Maryland. Shout out to Maryland. We're the best. UMD, go Terps, except for our football, because yikes. And... Uh, we have uh, a unique opportunity to work with Capital Workspaces, who has provided us with our podcast room as well as our conference room for our village talk sessions. Thank you guys again. And today we are with the founder of Link Generations, Dr. Lori Marks. Hi, this is Lori. And how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. It is finally not 30 degrees outside. I'm very happy. It is a beautiful day, and I am fortunate to have a window so I can look out and see it. Yes, a window would be great. Again, it is very dark in this room. I don't, That's what you said. I don't know what, you know, what's going on. Thing you got to think about with, um, with Maryland weather is it can look really nice outside, but it could be freezing or really hot. Or about to change in like seven minutes. Yes, it might snow on my way home. I'm very excited. Exactly. <laughs> so we're going to start this right off because I, for one, did not know about Link Generations when we first got the, uh, the email from Mark. Shout out to Mark from Capital Workspaces who got us in touch with everybody. Uh, so we definitely have a lot to learn. Uh, we were able to do our research. I know our viewers have not. So we want to go right into uh, the nitty gritty, as they say. So Evan, I will let you start this one off, my good sir. All right. So part one or question one is two part question. It's uh, how did this all begin for you? And what drove you to start Link Generation? All right. Well, um, first, I should probably tell everybody what Link Generation is, uh, it's a nonprofit that educates young people about aging and then connects young people with older adults in the community so that they can all have interactions that benefit both age groups. And the way it all began for me is that I grew up in a multi-generational household. My grandmother actually lived with us, and um, I was very close with her. Uh, when I was very young, my grandfather, her husband, died, and my father actually invited my grandmother to come and live with us. And it was actually my mother's mother. I don't know if she would have made that invitation, um, but with you know, without getting permission, but um, <laughs> from each other. But anyway, my my grandmother was a little bit resistant because she said to my father, "Well, I don't want to interfere with your family." And he said that he had grown up with his grandmother. So he said, why would I deprive my children of something so special? And so they all agreed, okay, she could move in with us. Well, a couple years later, sadly, my father died unexpectedly. And we were left as a young family. But thankfully, my grandmother was already part of our household by then. And so she stepped right in and helped keep us all happy and together. And um, it was a really beneficial experience. And I grew up knowing that I definitely benefited and the kids benefited. And I think that my grandmother benefited. I hope so. And so I always had that idea that it was really important to have the generations together. And that actually inspired me to pursue a career and go to graduate school, study aging, get my PhD in gerontology, study human development and family studies. I did get my PhD from Maryland, so another shout out to Maryland. And um, I always focus on intergenerational relationships and eventually started Link Generations. 
Okay. And then, um, that's really cool. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely, uh, just from a personal standpoint was also blessed with having a really good relationship with my grandfather, um, who would definitely fill in for the father role for a while. And, uh, also was be the one to pick me up. So I couldn't really fool around after school cause you know, he was not one to play around with after school. So I was, I would be the most prompt person you've ever seen at age seven. And, um, it was uh, very beneficial. It was uh, just another person there to help out my mom and stuff. So I definitely get that. That's awesome. And uh, I guess I'll follow that up with uh, a really important question, which is, uh, so what do you think is the most important reason to link our generations, not just from your own personal standpoint, but just overall, what do you think is going to be the greatest benefit that comes out of this? Well, I think that's a really good question. And um, I think that linking the generations really gives us a sense of continuity and history. And it's a way of sharing different perspectives. We have so many problems in our society, which is probably the biggest understatement of 2020. Um, And I think having perspectives of people who have lived through different time periods, and face different challenges at different points in time is a very powerful approach to solving some of these problems. Indeed. And to go off of that, uh, you know, a lot of uh, previous cultures uh, that were around, uh, particularly Native American tribes and um, others, were able to actually have a way of linking generations. Not only were their stories told from the elders on, but they also held elders in very high regard uh, as both not only just like shaman roles, but also the head of the family, the one that made a lot of decisions, the one that passed on a lot of roles, traits, uh, trades, and uh, skill sets. So uh, I definitely can see where that's extremely important to to continue that on because we have definitely had a lot of issues in 2020 and uh, we could definitely do better. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think to go along with what you're saying about different cultures and um, the way different cultures look at older generations, I think that we have been very age-segregated age in our communities here. Um, and I think we've lost some of that connection. And so the example that you just gave is such a great one that we don't always remember, I think, that that people who have come before us um, have these experiences and a lot of wisdom. And if we're segregated from each other, we don't get a chance to appreciate that or learn from it. And it actually goes both ways because there's so much wisdom in all ages, um, which we'll probably continue to talk about today. But I think that the young people have a lot to learn from older people, but older people also have a lot to learn from younger people. How to turn on an iPad. Yes, actually, we've been we've had a lot of that where we've been trying to get younger people to help older people uh, with some of their computer issues. We've gotten a lot of people on Zoom now, and it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun actually to see that those those things literally turn on. Yes, uh, just a little a little segue in that one before I let Evan um, do the next question is uh, I would get a call at least once a week from my grandfather, uh, he has a TV that was really new and awesome, and he had no idea how to work it. So my mom's name is Margie, but he is from uh, old, you know, from uh, Connecticut, the New England area. So I'd mm-hmm. get a call, and I knew it was him immediately because it'd be Margie, and it would <laughs> it would be a question about the TV almost every time or the iPad, and uh, I'd I'd actually that's. Uh, later in life, that's how I got to really hang out a lot with him. Would I'd I'd go for the for the fix in the iPad and stay for the Nationals game. So uh, it's definitely uh, definitely easy, or as a gr- uh, generation that grew up with technology, to be able to uh, to teach a generation that had the bare minimum of technology back in the day, uh, as he was born in 1930. So uh, their TVs did not have all those knobs. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll go into that further later on. Um, so Evan, what is the next thing you wanted to talk about? 
Uh, one thing before we jump into that, I didn't want to interrupt you. I also think it's cool being able to teach people about technology. Like one thing I don't talk about a lot in my backstory is that I got work at Geeswater, of course, but I grew up um, like next door to my grandmother and my father's side. Oh, wow. And literally it was like a daily thing where I would walk across there and I'd be showing them how to use basic stuff like home phones, TV, cell phones, basically all their stuff. So it, it's really cool to me seeing a group of people that want to do the same thing for people they don't even know like on a daily basis. I think that's really awesome. Um, but coming back into it, um, question number three, uh, how do you plan on expanding your program even further than what it is? Okay. Another really good question. I've been thinking about that one a lot, Evan. So right now we have some ongoing partnerships with, um, some senior living communities in Montgomery County. So we're pretty localized and we've engaged students from almost every Montgomery County high school and I think many, many of the middle schools as well. Um, in some of the schools, students have established, taken the initiative to start Link Generations Clubs, uh, which I'm hoping to keep continuing and expand in that way. And um, I think it would also be really cool to start some Link Generations Clubs or committees in some of the senior living communities. Uh, so I think it's really important to have the participants have a role in um, in how they make this program work. It, it seems like people, when they have ownership, it, it's a much more enriching experience. So I'm hoping to expand in that way to have more groups that participate in these intergenerational activities. Absolutely. I'm really glad they're taking the initiative on that as well. Yeah, it's been very exciting to see. Um, so, you know, like sometimes I'll have parents who are really into it, of course, and they want their kids to do it. Um, and sometimes, but when the students really take the initiative, it's, they, they, um, they participate for a lot longer and I think it's more meaningful. And I've actually had students, so I've been around, um, for four years of programming and I actually had some students who started in eighth grade and now are seniors in high school. And I even have a couple of college students who started in high school and have continued to come back and participate. So that's been really exciting to see, to see that people like it. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they keep coming back to do more. Exactly. And that's actually something we noticed in our latest interview with uh, SciTech to you, uh, where the kids even, after the, the age range that they normally uh, have with their programs would actually volunteer to just come back, even if it was just to help. And I think that's really uh, just a statement on how good the program is because that's not, it's not only a good review as in they want to keep coming back, but it shows just how invested they became in the program as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I think that we always hear and we kind of read about how when people give back to others, it's so meaningful and inspiring for that individual. So I think it's also a testament to that. Um, but you're right, doing it in a way that is, it has to be a good program, um, you know, to make sure that the person gets, is able to participate. Absolutely. And, and get, you know, the meaning out of it. And then I'll jump right into speaking of um, uh, good things that are coming out of this program, uh, what, in your opinion, I know it's hard to play favorites, but what has been the most memorable and rewarding moment for you uh, through creating this nonprofit? The most memorable and rewarding. It, you're right. It's very hard to pick out the most memorable. Um, I think, well, if, if it's okay with you, I'd like to maybe give two examples. One okay. from... Um, a younger person, an experience with a younger person, and then an example maybe from an older person, just because I'm dealing with both populations, if that's okay with you all. Um, so I think that from the younger perspective, and this kind of relates to what you both were talking about um, with your experiences with your own grandparents, um, but what I do with the students is I always do a training session or a couple of training sessions with them before they start to volunteer and um, I teach them some basic things about aging and physical changes that occur with aging so that they know what to expect. And also it helps them 
um, communicate effectively and know how to communicate effectively. And one of the things that people who are older experience typically is some hearing loss. And, um, but they don't always know that, or they don't always want to acknowledge, or maybe they're embarrassed about it. And so we don't always know that the person isn't hearing what's going on. And so I do an exercise with the kids where they literally put cotton in their ears and they have to like have a conversation. We spend maybe 10 or 15 minutes um, talking to each other, playing a card game with that cotton in their ears so that they get the experience of what it's like when you can't actually hear what the other person is saying. And it's what I think is really amazing is you can tell somebody what it's like, but to really experience it, then these, you know, you really see that, wow, how did that make me feel when I had to keep saying, what'd you say? What'd you say? What'd you say? And they, what I hear students say in that moment is, they say, I realized, or I was so embarrassed, I didn't want to ask again. So I just withdrew myself from the conversation. And I think that happens a lot. And of course, now we're all seeing all of the um, social isolation and how that is causing a lot of loneliness and a lot of mental health problems and a lot of other health problems. And it might just be really that the person can't hear. And um, I actually had one student uh, who was kind of getting frustrated and losing her patience in the situation. And she literally said, sorry, Nana, because she realized how impatient she had been with her own grandmother and that she needed to be more careful about speaking more clearly and being patient with her grandmother when she couldn't hear her. So that to me was a really powerful experience. Um, and then, if, if, if you're okay with this, I'll give you another example that Absolutely. came from an older person. What? Go for it. Okay. I'd love to hear it. I love to talk, as you can tell. Um, so, uh, <laughs> one of the programs that we do is um, we call it Music Through the Ages. And so, we bring all of our programs, well, actually, not right now, but when we are in person, which hasn't been for several months now, um, the programs are all small group discussions. So we'll have a group of people, but then we have small like round tables in the room and each table has a couple of older people and a couple of younger people. So it's to facilitate a small group discussion. And we always have a different theme uh, that we're going to talk about that day. And when we do music, it's always really fun. We have each table select like those they'll talk about a theme of music and then they'll pick a song that's a favorite from the older generation and a song that's a favorite from the younger generation that it fits within that theme. And so one of the really memorable times was one of the tables decided they were going to do a theme of violence and war. I was like, Oh gosh, I don't really know what to expect from this. What are they going to (laughs) do? Well, so and so, and then what we do is each table gets to play the two songs and everybody talks about it. What does the song mean to you? What does the music make you think of? And so this particular table picked, um, they picked Where Have All the Flowers Gone, which was one of the older residents at the facility picked that, with, you know, that song about war and people coming back from war. Yeah. And they talked about that. And then another, one of the students picked, a current rap song about suicide and there, and we played that song and it was very, it sounded very different or a lot of curse words in it and words that maybe you would say in your podcast that I'm not going to say. And we were playing that pretty loudly because I just told you people can't hear very well. So we had to play it pretty loudly. And I thought, Oh my goodness, there's like, what are people going to think of this? There's a lot of really, um, you know, harsh language. And uh, so then we we talked about it. And basically the older people at that table said that they really appreciated hearing that song and talking to the students who picked it because the song was, they were able to understand that it was an artist who was 
talking about a really difficult experience and writing about it and expressing himself in this song. And the student was really moved by that as well. And the, the, the woman said, I don't really like that song and I don't think I'll listen to it, but I really appreciate it. And I have a better understanding for why these students are listening to this music. And I, was, I thought that was a, a pretty powerful eye-opening experience as well. So you probably won't remember off the top of your head, but could it have been I'm Sorry by Joyner Lucas? Yes, it was. Love that song. A very so powerful I, song. I So I, I was trying, and that's funny that you're saying that, because before we had this conversation, I was thinking to myself, I need to go back into my notes to see what that song was, because they're going to ask me what the song is, and I don't remember. That is what the song was. That's... Look at my notes, and there it is. <laughs> yeah, that's um actually fun fact. One of my favorite artists. Uh, he does a lot of, so I mean, yeah, charge language, but a lot of his work is storytelling, uh, and yeah. he does everything from there was an uh, a child or not well teen that was shot uh, during gang violence in uh, Michigan, uh, and he did a whole story on that, and he even did an interview with the kid that was. Uh, the story was based off of who survived the attack. Um, and then he did the, the suicide one was like his own feelings and then the feelings of someone that had dealt with it. But he does music. His music videos are where he really shines. He does extremely powerful imagery filled music videos. Uh, so that song was actually what got him famous. That song alone is, is one of the, one of the things that jump started his career. He's now like a multimillionaire, uh, record charting art artist off of just that song and that music video is really what pushed his career forward. That's really cool that they use that. Yeah. And uh, I can well, see I, where an older person would be like, what am I listening to? Right, right. And I guess in that sense, I, I'm an older person too, not as old, but, and I was kind of like, oh my goodness, how are people going to hear this? Um, but it's really, it's interesting to hear what you just to fill me in on learning more about that artist too. But it also is different, just different ways of expressing the same message, uh, the violence and the, the war and just the expression uh, of it has changed over time, I guess, uh, with more connectedness through social media and stuff. These Im the imagery that's used in videos, music videos especially, and stuff like that are more prominent today than they would have been back then as well. So I can see where they can appreciate the artwork behind it, but still be yeah. like, I'm going to stick with what I know. <laughs> right. Yeah. But just having that openness and um, kind of a non-judgmental way of listening to each other that I just think that is such a powerful lesson. Exactly. You hear that mom? People can appreciate rap. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I can hear his mom listening to this now. Come on, Kevin. Don't put me on the spot like that. I can feel her ire when this interview gets released. She's I'm our number one fan and probably has the most criticism, but we do appreciate it. Well, I hope she will listen to this, and um, I hope I get to hear some of her comments someday. <laughs> oh, they're, they're, they'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, now, if you want to talk about charged comments, that's going to be a funny conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, all right, so I talked about the positive and the feel-good moments. Uh, so Evan has kind of the opposite for this next question. So for question number five, it's what has been your biggest challenge and how have you been able to or how do you plan to overcome it? Yeah. Well, I think it's really hard to think of any challenges other than COVID right now. Very um, fair. Yeah, I know. And that really was, it has been a very big challenge um, for us. You know, I, we work in um, senior living communities, and actually those were the first communities that were locked down during this pandemic. And um, back in March, you know, I... I think everybody probably remembers that week when everything started to shut down. And we actually had a program planned that Sunday, so that Sunday in March, when it was like the week that everything was starting to shut down, at least in my, re in my recollection in this area. 
And um, we had a program planned where we had about 20 kids ready to come into an independent living facility. Uh, And so the week before, they shut down the facility. Before everything else shut down, but their facility shut down. And nobody could go in there. So I thought, okay, I still have these 20 kids, and I want to do something with them. So maybe what we'll do is we'll still get together, and we'll create some care packages and some letters and some messages and drawings that we can deliver to the people who now aren't getting going to be able to have visitors. You know, we thought it would be like a few weeks. They wouldn't be able to have visitors. And so um, so that's what I planned to do. So I found a new location because we couldn't go into the facility. I decided we would go to the public library. That would be a nice place, a public place to go. And so told everybody that's what we're going to do. Okay. So then they shut down the Montgomery County Public Schools. And I thought, oh, well, I probably shouldn't bring the students together if their schools are closed. So, um, and then like an hour later, I mean, things, as you might remember, were happening like hour by hour. They closed the library. So Then you were like, I can't bring them to the... (laughs) I can't do that at all. That made the decision easy. So what I did was I had like shifted my thinking of what the program was going to be during that week where they were going to be writing letters, creating care packages. So I just basically emailed those instructions to everybody and had all the kids in their homes where they were safe um, and where they were not sure what to do with their time at that point. And, you know, they got to, so I gave them this activity. I was like, okay, you can write letters. This is what you can write about. You can draw some pictures, whatever you're comfortable with. And um, we'll deliver all of this to the people you are going to see. And there you go. We had a, a whole new program. And since then, that has really taken off. And we've had so many more people, um, like exponentially more people reach out to Link Generations to participate in this because people really were looking for things to do. You know, at that time, things were not structured at all. And we have collected more than 10,000 pieces of um, handwritten, typed up, hand-drawn, painted um, images, drawings, letters that um, I guess I've had all ages, really, but um, mostly middle school, high school, and college students create. And, I mean, it's been amazing. So that was one way I faced that specific challenge yeah that uh it's definitely been a very interesting uh way of having to overcome the physical all right so we're not going to meet in person now we have to figure out ways to bypass that whole step uh which I know initially uh from just from looking through your programs a lot of them were face-to-face contact a lot of them were based on, you know, sitting down together and really getting to know each other, uh, which obviously can't do right now. Um, and then, and then, well, obviously we're, we're all in Maryland and, uh, Maryland's really been bad at that lately, uh, skyrocketed in cases. Um, so yeah, I was like, can I go on vacation? And my job was like, it's going to be a no from me, dog. So it's, uh, (laughs) It's been interesting. So I, um, I definitely want to, and we're skipping uh, because you, you did go right into the COVID thing, which is great because that's a very real challenge that everyone's kind of facing, which is why we added it into our interview because uh, a lot of these nonprofits, um, including yours, have specifically had issues. Well, not so much issues, more like challenges to overcome with COVID uh, that they had to think kind of outside the box in order to uh, bypass the whole fact that you can't really meet people face to face and be able to not only sell them on, on your nonprofit and, and getting, you know, donations and getting people to help out, but also being able to provide the services that you provide for the seniors and for the kids. So, um, as far as that, uh, Evan, I'll let you do number six, but I'll go right into number seven. Uh, just because we're talking about it now. Uh, so yeah. how have you been able to adapt and retool your program in the wake of COVID? You mentioned that initially you had to, instead of meeting up at the library, you had to send instructions online and really get a surprising amount of, of production from that, uh, from the students going forward th- 
through their own devices and doing it for themselves. But I also saw on your, um, on your website that you've also done programs that implemented doing zoom calls and stuff like that. Can you tell us more about that as well? Yeah, that was, a, a, um, we're pretty excited about that because uh, what we did was we thought um, we would take that program, like, like you said, has been conversation based in person. And we thought, well, everybody's using zoom now. Well, I shouldn't say everybody because a lot of people don't have the, have the capacity. They either don't have the computer technology or the bandwidth or the skills or the know-how to do it. And actually, a lot of the people in our population do not have the capability to get on Zoom. So that's a whole other issue of um, the digital divide. But for people who we have been able to get on Zoom, the people who do have computers and we've been able to use our, um, like what you all were saying before, our our um, young people who have been able to help the older people navigate through Zoom by kind of like you all were doing with your grandfathers to show them how to use their technology. So we have been doing that. And what we did over the summer was we tested our program, our conversation-based program, using Zoom and using the breakout features to kind of simulate those small group roundtables that I described before. Um and what we found is that it worked. We were still able to get those conversations and um, those statements, some of the same kinds of enriching statements that I gave you examples of before. And it made me think of, we had this one 94-year-old resident who um, has had been with our program for a, few, for a couple of years. And she used to say, this is her quote, she would say, this program works. We don't always know how it's going to work, but it always works. And I have been saying that so much lately, and I think of her all the time, because um, sometimes you don't know how something is going to work. But you just, you know that you're, it's important, so you try it, and then it works. It just might not work the way you thought it was going to work. Absolutely, and I'm really glad that you guys were able to implement Zoom. I know Obviously, like you had said, not everybody can access it, unfortunately. But for those that can, it's really great because I, I saw that you guys were also doing things like um, still doing storytelling and stuff and then also doing the uh, the help with the technology through Zoom and stuff, which is also great uh, that they're still able to, like, if something breaks, you don't want to have an older person have to go all the way to Best Buy, no offense, Evan, <laughs> or, you know, right. go to a store in person and have to get it help when they could you know, there's an alternative for them to get help where there's no fee involved. It's really just getting the help they need at, at really a click of the button. Yeah. And yeah, but, what were you going to say? So um, I think also what I find with the technology is, is, so, you know, as a nonprofit, I try to stay mission driven and it's really easy to get you know, to start thinking, oh, we have to make sure that everybody has the capability to be connected because that would be awesome. But that isn't really what I have the capacity to do. But what I do have the capacity to do is when people are coming together for whatever reason, and if the purpose of their coming together starts off because they need help with their technology, really what happens is they then make a connection and they talk about maybe they're talking about the technology, but they're also just talking to each other and getting to know each other and getting to appreciate each other. Exactly. It doesn't have to end at the phone call. Right. But also the phone call, I think, is another good point. The storytelling that you may have seen on our website um, is so our programs in person, we would call a storytelling series because people are sharing their stories with each other. And so what we did was for people who weren't able to connect through Zoom, people, most people do have a phone and, you know, people of all ages know how to talk on the phone. Well, actually, I guess the older people probably talk on the phone more now than the younger people. So it might be switching again. But um, we did do a lot of um, interviewing over the phone where um, students and older people would have these phone conversations where they would share their stories. And so that was another way to um, kind of connect people when we can't be in person. So kind of going old school, using old-fashioned letters 
through the post office and telephones through talking to each other. I mean, letters they should be very familiar with. Uh, at one point, that was email. And um, and then yeah. for the phone call, yes, I, I did see the uh, the phone call storytelling uh, in addition to the stuff that you're able to do through the computers with Zoom and Skype. I mean, well, there's also options like Skype and stuff, but mostly Zoom has been the go-to lately. Uh, but the phone calls is great too because not only is that a great connection that you get to hear the other person, and for those that are really like, what if they had a problem with their laptop or something that they can't, you know, physically show you? At the very least, they can talk you through it on the phone and get a connection that way, and then just being able to just talk to each other about whatever. And it's just yeah. one phone call away, which again, a lot of people have phones. If nothing else, they have a house phone. Right. That's right. Awesome. I'm really glad that you guys were able to overcome uh, a very hard time. This year has not been fantastic. And uh, hopefully next year has more solutions. Uh, but it's definitely going to be a process that at the very least will connect people more, especially because there could be some very real, more permanent changes as far as how we interact with each other on a daily basis after everything is said and done. So it's good that these are in place so that you guys are able to reach out to as many people as possible. Um, and then I'll let Evan bring it back to uh, a question that also takes it to the beginning. We'll look at you, Mr. Question and set in uh, floor. That was a good one. Um, what is one thing you wish you had known before you started Make Generations? Well, what I wish I had known is I wish I had known that I was going to be running my own business. And I know that sounds, <laughs> right? I know it sounds kind of obvious, but I did not start this nonprofit because I wanted to be an entrepreneur or start my own business. Um, you know, and I think that happens with a lot of nonprofits. It's literally the same answer we've gotten from the last oh, really? two. Yes. Oh, yeah. So All of them have like a mission and then like, they don't know how to run the business. Like, I think the biggest one was probably Cytex to you where like they, she knew she had to get a board of different people, but not having anybody who could do the business aspect of the nonprofit. Yes, that is exactly it. And I wish that I had known that before because, um, you know, maybe I would have taken a couple of business courses with those gerontology courses or some marketing classes, or um, maybe I would have written a business plan before I started this or, <laughs> So that's, I think that's what I wish I had known, but, but you know, it's never too late. So I, I, um, shout out to the nonprofit village because I did take some of their trainings this summer to learn about, um, some of those very things. And so that's been really, really helpful. So I guess it's never too late. Keep learning. Um, not at all. My, so, yeah. My, uh, my, my coworker is actually, uh, going back to, uh, college to finish off a later degree and I'm she's pretty uh, up there as far as age goes not to put her on the spot but uh, that's actually something she literally told me today she was like hey it's never too late to finish that thing right I totally agree with that and actually I um so I still I do teach as an adjunct at um University of yeah University of Maryland University of Maryland Global Campus and a lot of the students are a lot of different ages and it's I think it's you know it's really important to always be learning whether it's through a formal class or through anything just always to be open and learning new things so I'm trying to practice what I preach and I'm learning as well Oh yeah. And there's never too much, there's never too much to learn out there. I've, I've actually started picking up more books, uh, which I did not do after college just because reading became work almost. And, uh, I must say, uh, with coworkers that are interested in different things and just seeing a book on a shelf and really wanting to learn more. And it's actually gotten me, uh, cause I want to eventually go back for my, uh, masters. It's gotten me back interested in learning more. And it is, it's a fun process, especially if you're able to do it at your own pace and you're not rushed into it, which is good for a lot of these online classes. I know they do try to pace it a little bit. Yeah. But. And it's also good if, um, you know, if you're learning something that you're actually applying to something you're doing, 
that that also makes it worthwhile. Because then you never have to ask help for it again. Because you're like, oh, I know now. I know how to do it, uh, which yeah. is awesome with uh, getting to know more business stuff. And I'm really, uh, you're the second person in a row that has said that Nonprofit Village had a lot of tools that really helped out. I'm glad that uh, they were able to, you know, help you better adjust to uh, the fact that, as everyone has said so far, it's uh, it's a lot more interesting of a situation when you're like, oh, it's business business uh, when running a nonprofit. That's right. It is a business. It really is. And then our last question, because, you know, we've, we've kind of hit you with, with the hard questions, with the, with the fun questions, but this one's definitely a great one to end it off. Uh, We've talked a lot about link generations uh, and what you guys do and how you help out, not just, you know, seniors and older people, but also the younger people as well, the college kids, the high schoolers, and uh, getting to really link everyone together. Um, and then all the programs that are available uh, and how you guys have been able to overcome what everyone else has also had to overcome this year, which is COVID-19. Uh, but we wanted to end it off with asking a little personal question to to wrap it up. Uh, so what do you do for fun outside of work? Pre, We ask pre and post COVID because a lot of people had things like I like, for instance, and Evan likes to go to the theater. Can't do that right now. So what do you like to do uh, pre and post COVID uh, as far as just activities outside of work and everything else? Yeah. So that, it is true that the pre and post COVID fun is a little bit different. Um, I also was a theater goer and looking forward to being able to do that again and also my my husband and kids are really into sports so over the years i've become a big sports fan as well so pre-covid we spent a lot of time at nats park and got to go to the world series which was really exciting um and uh, you know hoping that we'll be able to do that again i'm sure we will just don't know when Uh, but so during covid i actually just got a new bike and I've been exploring a lot of bike paths around Maryland and doing as much biking as I can. It took a really long time to get that bike, by the way. I think it became like one of those hot items that nobody could get because people thought, oh, that's a good COVID thing to do. Um, they were like, anyway, oh, I can go outside now. <laughs> yeah, so we go, yeah, exactly. Go outside. And you know, walking around my neighborhood is really nice, but you start seeing the same paths, the same sites every day. So now I got this bike and I can go out a little bit farther. Very exciting. Um, So I'm hoping to keep doing that after COVID. And then the other thing I love to do is I'm a knitter. So I like to knit. And I've made a ton of socks during the pandemic. So I'm calling it the year of socks. Hey, uh, as someone that has ripped plenty of hole in one socks because I'm always walking around, I must say uh, it is never a bad thing to have the ability to make your own socks. Yeah, except that by the time I knit a sock, because it does take a lot of time, I probably have more than one hole in my old socks. <laughs> it's a constant but, battle yeah, to continuously have the sock. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'll have to take up darning socks, too, just to keep them, keep them all in good shape. And then I guess the second part of that question, it was a two-parter, mostly because uh, when I had initially asked it, I think Evan's the one that followed up with this one, and everyone had an answer to it. Is there any favorite shows? you? I know a lot of people have been watching a lot of streaming services and actual TV the last few months. Uh, any favorite shows you've picked up on since uh, everything started? Well, actually, I became, I was very resistant to this show at first, but then I became really into it, and that was Schitt's Creek, which really? maybe you've heard of. Hey, it's a, it's a great show. Evan loves yeah. that show. I have not quite gotten on board yet. Oh, my gosh, Evan. I, what did you love about it? I just loved it so much. So that's one of the shows that's on my list, but I've heard really great things. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you had started like, it already. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. It's on my list. It's at the top of my list. It's just like all my employees have been like nagging me to go check this out. Like I'm one of those few people that when people like give me a list of stuff to do, I get excited. So like, I, it's like, it's like almost like a, like a new product or like a new game for me. It's this thing I'm about to dive into when I have free time. So yeah. That's my next big thing I'm waiting on. So I was like, cool. Like somebody else knows about it. 
this is gonna yeah. be awesome. I thought it was great. And the first couple episodes, I I didn't really like it, but then I I don't remember why I went back to it. Probably because the pandemic kept going, and uh, and then I got really hooked. And I just, the characters are really well developed, and they just it's funny, and they they just really care about each other and. That's what I like about it is that you get this sense that this family has a lot of dysfunction, but they really care about each other. And so actually they're not that dysfunctional, even though it looks like they are. And so I think that's something that is just moves me, I guess. I will definitely. If there was like a show similar to that, that like I think me and Kevin both like that we've watched this year, it would honestly be probably – what is it? Ozark. It'd probably be Ozark. If you like Just Creek, you'd like Ozark. Yeah. I, you know, someone else told me to watch that, too. And I, I did watch the first episode. I have to go back to it. And I like the people who are in that show. So I think you're right. It's sort of that same idea. Like, there's some kind of zany stuff going on. And I'm not usually a... Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you can't go wrong with Jason Bateman. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I'm not usually a Jason Bateman fan. I mean, I've liked a couple of his movies, but he I never really thought of him as like a really great actor until I saw Ozark, and I was like, oh, he's really good. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's Laura Linney, right? Isn't is it Laura Linney? The, um, I believe so, yes. And yeah, she's really good I in really it, too. Like, yeah, she's really good, too. And it... Uh, it Almost gave me hope. It's on my list along with Breaking Bad of if the, if this job thing doesn't work out, there's other ways to make money. Just kidding now. But uh, <laughs> no, but uh, I'd be caught the first day. Um, the uh, the other show I'll throw out there that I've all right, it has 15 seasons. It literally just ended yesterday. Uh, I've been avoiding spoilers because that's all that people seem to talk about or what happened at the very end of a show. Uh the show is uh, Supernatural. Um, I was a huge X-Files kid growing up, uh, even though it was kind of reruns because I was like late 90s baby, so I didn't catch all of them. But I uh, love that. I like horror movies and stuff, so that, that kind of like supernatural aspect of the show is really good. The two brothers that play in it, or the guys that play brothers, are really good. It's kind of gotten a little tiresome. I'm on season 11 now where you can tell they're kind of running out of ideas but still chugging along. But uh, it's been great enough for me to watch 11 seasons in a row in, like, two months, which might be a record. So uh, it's it's definitely kept me uh, kept me busy. All right, but, hey, man, you know what you should do? Because hmm? you, you said you're going to be on with the two-week quarantine, right? Yes. You should just watch that entire series for that whole two weeks. I might. Don't tempt me now. I might do it. <laughs> but uh, you can only build so many puzzles while uh, – while in quarantine, so I'll definitely be hitting the TV at some point. But uh, I must say, this is the third time that someone, uh, well, we've had our third interview now. Uh, this is the third time that someone has said that they do physical activity for fun. And uh, as someone that's trying to do a, a weight loss journey with Evan here, uh, we are, we're, that's definitely the universe telling us to go pick up a bike or something. So that's uh, it's great to hear everyone really getting that fitness in uh, during quarantine. We had... Uh, the um, Roots Africa, he does basketball in the mornings before anyone else wakes up. At 5 a.m., he's hitting the basketball gym and winning a game before I even go to work. And then, uh tech to you, the interview, uh, we ended up hearing that she likes to do CrossFit. So uh, definitely a lot of stuff that you can still do even during quarantine that uh, – is uh, good for you as well. And as someone that used to play a lot of video games, it's uh, it's nice to see the real outside and not just the one on the game. So, but uh, that was our interview with uh, Link Generations. Uh, is, do you prefer Doctor? Um. Well, you mean like if it's written, yeah. But if you're just talking to me, you can just call me Lori. We were here with Lori. Uh, didn't know how. how uh, <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Kevin. We got to ask one more question. Okay. One we, we have to never forget to ask the golden question, which is for all of you guys who would like to donate to uh, Link Generation, how do we go about supporting you guys if we wanted to donate towards your cost? Well, Evan, I so appreciate your asking that question. And I, um, we have a donate button on our website. So if you go to Link Generations, 
sfbn.org. Right on the front page, there's a big blue Donate Now button. And we appreciate any support that you can give us um, so that we can keep advancing this mission uh, to connect people of all ages. Absolutely. What a course. And then uh, once again, just to wrap it up, uh, thank you, Lori, for your time today. Uh, it is always great to be able to learn about a lot of these nonprofits around us because a lot, all of you guys are basically local. And I hadn't had the opportunity. I know Evan hadn't had the opportunity to hear and learn about you guys until now. So definitely want to keep spreading the word. Um, we'll definitely make sure that uh, this is posted on our podcast page once it's been edited and finished up by our boy Antonio. Shout out to you, Antonio. Uh, thank you again to Nonprofit Village. Uh, you guys are the best. Uh, thank you for continuing to support nonprofits everywhere. Uh, like our slogan for the village talk says it really does take a village and then uh thank you to capital workspaces for giving us the opportunity i am actually at capital workspaces right now so uh for giving us the opportunity to actually record uh, not only our podcast running with scissors but also uh being able to do this village talk interviews with everybody as well on their behalf uh and it's it's a great space when it's not absolutely dark in here for no reason and it is uh terrifying but I uh, appreciate you guys, uh, both of you, for coming on to the call today. Uh, Evan, uh, while you're in quarantine, please don't become big and muscular and scary like General uh, Iroh in uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, it would be quite frightening. Um, you are already 6'4". You don't have to get more scary. Uh, Lori, thank you again for uh, allowing us to interview you and learn more about your program and to spread the word. Again, uh, for everyone that is uh, tuned in, that is linkgenerations.org. As soon as you click that into the phone or laptop, it's literally the first thing at the top. It says connecting youth and older adults. Right under that is a blue donate now button. If you have the opportunity, I know it's a pandemic and everybody has uh, been dealing with stuff, but it never hurts to help out, especially for nonprofits that are literally here to help out everybody. And uh, if you guys could donate, that'd mean a lot. Uh, let's help, you know, connect everybody and uh, keep everyone together during these trying times. So thank you guys again. Uh, and th this has been a Village Talk with me. Again, this is Kevin. And this is Evan. And this is uh, Village Talk. Appreciate you guys as always.